Listening online, we are in Exodus chapter 12. And starting about 37. He brought them out is the name of the message and also the name of the song we're going to sing at the end. He brought them out. Uh, we find in 37 of Exodus 12, and the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual or food. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed for all the children of Israel and their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover, there shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten, thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let them come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel as the Lord commanded, and Aaron so did they. It was an Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass on the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. May the Lord is blessing to the reading of his word. He brought them out. Let us pray. Next few moments, Lord, help us as we think about this wonderful conclusion to the exit, wonderful conclusion to the night of Passover, that we will see your marvelous hand at work, and the obedience is so clearly seen once yet again. Lord, thank you for the day you brought me out of the miry clay and set me upon a rock, uh, the rock named Jesus. And Lord, help us to be mindful and excited about and remembering all that you have done for us in the past as we look forward to all the multiple blessings beyond measure you have for us in the future. Bless our time together. Be with uh, Miss Cindy teaching downstairs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The hymn book is, it's 368. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. We will sing it at the end. But the songwriter said, My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown, and low in the pit where my sins dragged me down. I cried to the Lord from deep miry clay, who tenderly brought me out to golden day. I'll tell the of the pit with its gloom and despair. I'll praise the dear Father who answered my prayer. I'll sing my new song, the glad story of love, then join in the chorus with the saints above. The chorus says, He brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. And we as Christians, we can sing with that. Can we not that he has brought us up out of the miry clay and saved us? Uh, it's very important for Israel to remember now this occasion. Uh, it's going to be a call, and when they forget that, it's going to be a cause of spiritual decline. It says in Psalms 6, 106, they soon forgot his works. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonderful works in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. 
Forgetfulness of God's goodness will really cause, I believe, even today, spiritual decline. Uh, What's God done for me lately? I remember that saying to me by a high school senior way back in the 1980s. What's God done for me recently? Well, he's kept you alive. He's saved your soul. He's given you so much today. God has warned Israel not to forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 8.1, and the annual Passover event was to remember the occasion of God passing over the land and passing over the destroyer, passing over their homes. Now, there are some moments in all of our lives, I believe, that we are to cherish. It was just, I was thinking back to October of 1978 when I surrendered to the Lord at Bethel Bible Church to serve him however he would want me to serve during a revival. I remember that. I was thinking of that. Now it's written in one of my old Schofield reference Bibles. We remember our physical birth. We also should remember our spiritual birth. This past week, we're talking about the ladies in office, how their, their husband's spiritual birth. And we should remember how long have we, have we known Christ as personal Savior and, and just think back for just a moment we should praise the lord thank you for saving me we should remember those things i think if we stop doing that we're gonna start decline spirits we ought to be a praising people i have five m's first m is marching and we see the place in 37 the children of israel journeyed from ramesses to succoth about six hundred thousand on foot that were men besides children now, I know this is for those who are so afraid of a patriarchal society, the only the men are mentioned specifically there, and the children really are those who are non-combatants. So we have here 600,000 men and wives and women and their families and also a mixed multitude. It was a huge group leaving uh, Egypt that night. We find in it that the capacity of the children really talks about those who are not able to fight, etc. So we have 600,000 men, quite a group. Most uh, commentators would agree, probably maybe two hundred or excuse me, two million individuals, maybe a million and a half. I think with six hundred thousand men, uh, that's, you easily see two million people. In nineteen or two thousand ten, Houston, Texas, had two point one million people. So you can imagine taking everybody in Houston, Texas, which is the fourth largest city in America, which I did not know, it has two point three one three million now. Moving them out and traveling all the way to Dallas, which is a smaller city, about 200 miles, they're going to travel to Succoth, and that's the it's going to be as they head down to Mount Sinai, from where they are down to Mount Sinai, 200 miles, quite a journey. Can you imagine that just for a moment, trying to put together a group of 50 or 100 and meeting all the needs? Can you imagine 2 million people? And I was thinking, why had they not prepared ahead of time? Maybe obviously the way God had planned it, they're going to rely upon God. They didn't have all their Patriot supply meals ready. They didn't have all these things ready to go when they're head out of the out of the land of Egypt and off they go. They march boldly out of Egypt. And what are the Egyptians doing? They're burying their dead. As the Israelites march out, what's Pharaoh doing? He's, he's been humbled, been humiliated. He's the last straw for just a moment at least, and Pharaoh's been humiliated. Just go. Like an army and divisions, they are marching out of Egypt toward the promised land. Uh, interesting, one man said that not one Jew was too feeble to march. What an amazing thing. Uh, all, they all went. And the number, of, of makes, the number involved makes, I think, the feeding the people and, and the, uh, just the basic uh, sanitary uh, necessities of that many people, what a, what a tremendous thing it was that God had that many people moving at his command. 
It was, it was the starting part was Ramesses. Now, does that ring a bell to you back in chapter 1 about verse 11, somewhere in that neighborhood? There were two cities that Jews built for the Egyptians, Python and Ramesses. So one of the cities that's going to bring back some bad memories, but we're going there, gathering there together, and then we're going to go on to the Succoth, and then eventually we're going to end up at Mount Sinai. That's where they're going. At least 13 pharaohs are mentioned in connection with Ramesses, and so it's a very a well-known area. If you're looking at the map, you have Egypt here, and down toward the right-hand side, which would be southeastern part, you're going to find Ramesses. And then going down the Sinai Peninsula, you're going to find Succoth there, and that's where they're headed into the Sinai Peninsula, eventually to the Promised Land. Forty years later, the Promised Land, the place. How about also the people in 37? Children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000, God's chosen nation. They went in as a family. They come out as a nation. What an amazing thing how God has set it up to where they didn't get acclimated into the culture of the Egyptians. Now, were there some Egyptians that married Israelites? Yes, I believe there were, and they're called the mixed multitude, which we'll see in just a moment. But they were not supposed to do that. They were to kept separate. Matter of fact, if you remember the plagues, over in the land of Goshen, no plagues. After about the fifth or sixth plague, nothing happened over there that was negative. Over is all on the Egyptians over on this side. So that was the marching. Second is the multitudes, and we see the antagonists and the animals, 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Now, there's two different words here used in our text that calls the mixed multitude that left Egypt with the Jews. The word is, is simply in 1238, simply called a swarm or a multitude. And in Numbers 11.4, it's called the M-I-X-T multitude, rendered by some even as rabble. Not rabble rousers, but simply rabble in some instances uh, by some translations. This, this reference suggests that they're the ones who originated the complaining in the camps. Now, the Gentiles, presumably Egyptians, who had departed with Egypt from Israel, with Israel from Egypt, they left to go with them. The presence of the mixed multitude, I would believe, we might equate it to eleven. They're going to they're be the ones behind the scene. Oh, did you see with that? Did you know that? I don't know why he does that. Oh, I remember the leeks and the garlics. Oh, I remember how we had it so easy in Egypt. Oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember the deep dish pan pizza with the pepperoni just falling off the sides and that goat cheese just melted on there. Man, I could eat a 14-inch myself. Oh, I just remember that. We're grumbling. Some of the crowd may have been Egyptians who married Jews. Some of them uh, may have been those Egyptians who were frightened. And I can easily imagine after 10 plagues, whoa, I'm going to become a convert to the Jewish nation. But my goodness, what a God they have. And by the way, what a God they do have and did and still have today. Uh, we have the same God who watched over them. Perhaps they thought that there were more judgments. They did not have the Bible to read 10 judgments. Who knew there were just going to be 10? Perhaps there were 20. Perhaps there was 30. They did not know. So they're leaving. We're leaving too. We cannot stay here any longer. Butler says, They have few, if any, convictions and even less character. All in all, the mixed multitude did not attach themselves to Israel for spiritual reasons, but for fleshly reasons. Hence, it was the group that became a source of trouble. I like what Arthur Pink says. What, this was a wily move by the enemy, Satan. Scripture presents him as two chief characters, as a roaring lion, as a cunning serpent. The former was exemplified by the cruel oppressions of the Pharaoh. The latter, the serpent, is what we here see before us. Satan tried hard to keep some of the Israelites in Egypt 
failing in this, he now sends some of the Egyptians to accompany Israel to Canaan. But it was not long before this mixed multitude proved a thorn in the side of Israel. Matter of fact, in Numbers 11.4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? They're the ones we want. We want. We're tired of this manna thing. We want something more than this manna. Give us something with more substance. Their fleshly appetites wanted something else. It caused a big problem in the camp because they really, obviously, some of them were not really truly Jehovahites, if you want to call them that. And finally, Numbers eleven thirty three, the, the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. To draw the application today is the people of the world who identify with God's people, but inwardly they are not truly children of God. They might be church members. They might even be religious leaders, but their attitudes and appetites are not those of a truly born-again people. It's, it's all those religions who pawn themselves off, as Mormons do, as another testament of Jesus Christ. We also are Christian. No, you're not. You're not Christian. You, you are a cult. You are something not really following the scripture at all. And we've said it before. I'm probably sure I'll say it again. If, if you are believing what the Bible says, then you become a Christian. If you're not, then you've got to have something other than the Bible. And that's where the trouble comes in. We, we're not satisfied with this scripture. We want to have our own following. The desire of, of you, especially men, to have people to follow them is something... I don't understand it. We've got to have we've got to have control over so many. I've got to, I don't understand. I have enough to take care of with what I have ahead already. Trying to keep two cats happy. I mean, my goodness gracious! Trying to keep two cats happy in the same house, let alone control five hundred thousand people. Who want? I, I did not. It was not for me. By the way, we all are sheep, and if we surrender to the shepherd, then we'll. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you truly believe Scripture, you then become a child of God. If you don't, then you start your own cult somewhere. Matter of fact, in Matthew, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So that's the antagonist. And then in 38, also there are the animals. There are the animals and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Could be a very large number of livestock went with the Jews. Large there can be defined by what? Uh, was done to Pharaoh's heart in 714, stubborn. So as God made Pharaoh's heart heavy or hard, thus he makes Israel heavy with material possessions. They plundered the Egyptians, plus all their own stuff. So God has blessed them abundantly as they head out to toward the promised land, leaving Egypt behind. That was the marching, the multitude. And how about the mixing And 39? We talked about last time with their shepherd's crook in hand. It was the beginning of the crookie dough ice cream saga back there in Egypt. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they had brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry. So they have no time to cook their dough, which... I'm thinking they had to put it in some warm place to raise overnight or raise for a while and then you pinch off and then you bake it like that. But there was no time to do that. So they had unleavened flatbread, if you would. God made sure they had food to eat. It was not filet mignon. It was not uh, whatever you want to say your favorite food is. I was listening some way. There's a there's a most expensive uh, meal is like nine thousand dollars a person somewhere, uh, and here in America somewhere I'm not sure. Sure, it's probably out in California. I can imagine paying nine thousand dollars for one meal. 
And we went to Ruth Chris Steakhouse once in our lives, and that was like, wow, I could not believe how much that was. And so that was given to us as a, as a treat from the, uh, the church we pastored, the house church we pastored down in North Carolina for our, our anniversary. But, but can you imagine? But, so it wasn't all these things, but it was what God had planned to give them nutrition to carry on. That was the dough, and then there is the directing, 39, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any food or victual. No super large backpacks prepared. We haven't been working on this. We haven't have all this freezer food. By the way, it wouldn't last. How are you going to port a portable freezer? How are you going to have a, have a donkey there making the thing turn around to keep it cold? I don't know. It doesn't work that way. God says, trust me. Can you imagine you have a family of six children, you and your wife, and God says, trust you, and we're, well, Dad, what's going to, where are we going to eat? Where are we stopping next? What's for supper? What's for breakfast? What's for second breakfast, third breakfast, and what's for the first, second, and third lunch? And then what's for snack tonight? And then what's the first thing in the morning before you, the Lord's going to provide, can you imagine the faith you had to exhibit there that God does? Yes. The dough, the directing then we have the marching, the multitude, the mixing, and fourthly is the memorial in 40. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was to be observed faithfully, a memorial. God's promises are never in error, and his timing is never wrong. The exodus took place 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon's reign in 1 Corinthians 6.1. 1 Kings 6.1, sorry. 1 Kings which was the 966 B.C. That means the day of the Exodus was about 1446 B.C. Think about Abraham, about 1900. Then comes the Exodus, 1446 B.C. Jacob and his descendants have been in Egypt since 1876 B.C. We find that Genesis 1513 and Acts 7-6 give 400 years, a round figure, and Galatians 3:17, 430 years. Now, I found this book, an excellent book, and I found this one of the most helpful explanations. So we have some 400 years, round number, maybe to the 100th, 430 years to be more specific, maybe rounding to the 10th. And is there a contradiction? There is no contradiction. And listen to this explanation, just two paragraphs from an excellent book called Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason. It, he he uh, takes care of all the supposed uh, problems or uh, idiosyncrasies, not idiosyncrasies, but all the, the supposed differences in Scripture. How long was the Egyptian captivity? Subset fallacy and failure to read. Subset fallacy and failure to read the text carefully is the answer. None of the passages listed by the critic here specify the length of time of the captivity, but rather the length of time that Abraham or his descendants would be strangers in a land that they did not possess. Only some of the time was in Egypt. But in this length, 400 years in Genesis 15, 13, or 430 years in our text here tonight in Galatians 3, 17, of course, 400 is a subset or smaller than 430. There's no contradiction. It would be reasonable enough to infer that one text is simply rounding to the nearest 100, whereas the others round to the nearest 10. That would be perfectly acceptable and non-contradictory. However, there's more. First, the 400 years refers to the time in which Abraham's descendants would be strangers in the land that is not theirs, Genesis 15, 13, not merely the subset of that time for which they would be captives in Egypt. 
Furthermore, a careful reading of Genesis 15, 13 shows this refers to the time that Abraham's descendants would be strangers in the land that is not theirs. Thus, the 400 years refers to a time from Isaac, Abraham's son, to the Exodus. It excludes the time that Abraham dwelt as a stranger in the land. From Isaac to Exodus was precisely 405 years, which is rounded quite reasonably to 400 years. And so when you think about it like that, we think, well, there's, contra- there's no contradiction. You have to see. And subset fallacy is one of the greatest ones if they were to say that, well, the, the, uh, the Bible says, well, this one healed two uh, blind Bartimaeus. Matthew, I think, says there were two blind men, and one only emphasizes Bartimaeus. But because he emphasizes one does not mean there were two. Weren't two. Just means that he emphasized the one he knew probably and just and didn't see a need to emphasize the other one. So all these, he's got 423 contradictions that he very astutely uh, talks about and answers for if you want to borrow that book sometime, but it's, it's a great book. 430 years, rounded earlier on to 400 years, and it was Isaac. And it, see how we somehow we read things and we take what we think we already know and we put it in there. Have you ever done that in the Bible? You think what you already know, there's the angel of death in Exodus. The death angel. I know it's there. Well, as I studied more, Mrs. McClure and I talked about it, there is no death angel. As a matter of fact, there's no death angel in the whole scripture or angel of death, period, mentioned as that. Now, was it possibly an angel? Yes. Possibly the Lord himself was the destroyer? Yes. But you see how I, I, I thought about it. And the Shirley New Testament says that they ripped out Jesus' beard. Never one time. New Testament doesn't say that, but we go back to the Old Testament. Yes, we believe that his beard was ripped out from his face. So that's the explanation of why 430, sometimes why 400, all the, uh, sometimes others. We find it, it's interesting, though, that he brings them out, and whatever you want, however you understand it, and whether he's talking about the whole time or part of the time or from Isaac on, etc., or rounding up, God brought them out. It had been a long time in Egypt. And by the way, I think that's almost, not quite, almost twice, twice the length of time we've been a nation. Oh, not, not quite, and it's, it's short, but how, how, where have we come in, in the years we've been a nation? They were in captivity far longer than we've been a nation, and yet God brought them out as a nation? Well, there's so many who think in our era that they, they're so uh, mistreated, and, and, and they don't like our country. There's so many who just are so anti our country. There are a lot of other countries they can go to and live in. They want to go to there and they can do that. We have been blessed in America. America's not perfect, but God has blessed us here. He brought them out of Egypt and we should remember the day, perhaps like one man said this, uh, we should, maybe should we start our days as Father, thank you for delivering me from bondage to sin and Satan that I might live as a free man in Christ Jesus and for your glory. God has re- freed us from the bondage of sin. We don't have to sin. And one, one pastor uh, wrote a message title on this, God works the night shift. And he does. God is always working on our behalf. The period, the people, starting in 43, the people, we're going to see there, the, just read a little bit of 43. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Well, actually, there's three different groups of people here who cannot eat. The stranger, the hired servant, and the uncircumcised. In 43, no stranger, because he was not part of the deliverance. It was only the children of Abraham that were protected by the lamb and the blood on the doorpost who had been emancipated. So they were not to partake of that. 
In like manner, an unsaved person cannot commemorate and rejoice in redemption. There is no need for an unsaved person to partake in the Lord's Supper because they have not experienced the redemption of Christ. Secondly, no hired servant. Verse 45, and hired servant shall not eat thereof. And hired servant is an outsider. He is actuated by self-interest. He works for pay. But no such principle can be found place in that which speaks of redemption. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. You cannot earn your way. And so that also was one who should not be eating, partaking. And third one was in 48. No uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Because that circumcision was the covenant of God's people with Jehovah. Those who were not participating in that were excluded from that. They were not to partake of the Passover. However, when strangers and servants who did participate, when they signed on, became circumcised, and joined on and started worshiping Jehovah, they could participate in the Lord's table. Exceptions to the rule were thus those who did become. And praise the Lord, I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, we do not have to become Jews to become Christians. We, we, uh, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We as Gentiles, God sent his son to die for us as well. Paul was talking about that. So that is the marching, the multitude, the mixing, and the memorial. And finally, real shortly, is the moving in 50 and 51. Here's the choice. And thus did the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. I like the second second word and the next to last word. Thus did, so did they. This is what God has called them to do. So there's the obedience. The obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. The did and the do of God's directions. You are to do these things. You are to kill the lamb. You are to be ready. You are to go when I'm called. There's no caveat. There's no, no like, well, I think I want to do this or I'm going to go my own way. until you, No, he says this is the way to do it. We are to obey there's no cattle prod. I remember seeing the cattle prod and they would use those. I think it was the donkey basketball. I was thinking back to that. And those poor donkeys, when they, they had like that thing that shocks them, and they try to get them back in line, et cetera. And they use the cattle prod to get them moving into the uh, the barn for different things, et cetera. And that's not a, a nice thing, I'm sure. He, he doesn't expect that. Here it is very clearly. Just do what I have asked you to do. So there was obedience. And the, what was the objective? 51. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. He brought them out. He promised he was going to do it. Now, what? how were you, if you're living back in that time, and you're, you're the Israelites watching the Egyptians, wow, what thing he's doing? Can we trust? Remember, this is the first time they've been a nation, and they're going to go out, and we're going to go where? And it's that obedience thing. If you want to look at Scripture and say, what is the number one thing God requires of us? It's obedience, faith, to be obedient to what he has called us to do. And may we learn from this. He called us them out. He brought us out of our miry clay, set our feet on a rock to stay. And so may we be obedient and do that ourselves and what he's asked us to do and not be waffling. I, I see no wafflers on here. I don't see any of the Israelites. Oh, I don't think I want to go today. Now, there were some mixed multitudes that came along who probably shouldn't have, but the Israelite nation as a whole did. Our nation would return to Jehovah itself. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that you did bring us out. Uh, You brought us out as Christians out of the sin. 
Lord, we, we admit that we are not perfect. We, you know that far more than anyone else. Help us, Lord, that we would lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race set before us. Lord, may we not harbor those things and cultivate, if you would, things that displease you. So thank you, Lord, for, for what you've done for us. May we go out from our service this evening rejoicing in your blessings to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.